about this. Yeah, me too. More on the law of consecration, building Zion, continuing on. I'm looking forward to understanding better what it means to take up our cross. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. We're going to learn a little bit more about discernment, which we've talked about, but we're going to look mm -hmm. at a new level of discernment. Yep, absolutely. So welcome. Before we get into our discussions, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so today we are in Doctrine and Covenants, sections 51 through 57. The saints are beginning to live the law of consecration. They're taught to be good stewards, and they're told that Ohio is to be a gathering place. The leaders are also being given plans so that they can get to their next conference, and they're going to be told to remember the poor and the needy. They're also told to remember to repent and take up their cross and to follow the Savior. Now, we want to focus in on two things in particular today in our discussion. First, what does it mean to seek the gift of discernment? How do we do it? What exactly is this gift? As well as what does it mean to take up our cross? So in order to help us dive deeper into the scriptures and understand them better, we have invited our wonderful friend, Liz Darger. Liz, would you mind joining us up here? Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So great this to have great. you. Thank you. You're the Senior Associate Athletic Director at BYU, and you're also on the leadership team for the NCAA Common Grounds. Aren't you also on the Young Women's General Board? I am, yes, yes. I've been on that for, for a couple of years now, and it's just been an absolutely wonderful, uh, unique opportunity to serve, especially at this time where there are so many things in the church that focus on youth and focus on youth and leadership. Thank you so much, Liz. We really appreciate all that you're doing. So before we get into our discussion, I'm wondering what really stood out to you? What did you find meaningful? Yeah, something that really stood out to me was in section 57, there are assignments given from the Lord in working to build up Zion and specific assignments given to some of the servants. For us, we can also receive assignments on how to use our gifts and talents to build up the kingdom of God. For many of us, it may not come through revelation through the prophet, mm -hmm. uh, but we have opportunities through patriarchal blessings and personal revelation and callings and assignments we receive in our wards uh, mm -hmm. to know how we can best build up the kingdom of God on the earth. And each of us uh, can know how we can use our gifts and talents to do that to help build up the kingdom of God. And in particular, our youth that have incredible gifts and talents and are very much needed in the work. And so that's something that just really stood out to me. Excellent. That actually fits really well with our first topic, which is seeking the gift of discernment. One of the things we know about discernment is it's not just in trying to determine what is good and bad, but it's also looking at the gifts and talents in other people, as well as the gift and talents that we have in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think in section 57, we're seeing that, that all these different assignments and things that people have, the Lord is trying to bless them with these things, but they have to be able to discern themselves what they can and can't do and their propensities and their gifts and able to do so. There's a great quote by Joseph Smith that might be worth reading. He says, soon after the gospel was established in Kirtland and during the absence of the authorities of the church, many false spirits were introduced, many strange visions were seen and wild. Enthusiastic notions were entertained. Men ran out of doors under the influence of the spirit, and some of them got up on the stumps of trees and shouted, and all kinds of extravagancies were entered into by them. One man pursued a ball that he said he saw flying in the air until he came to a precipice, when he jumped onto the top of a tree, which saved his life. And many ridiculous things were entered into, calculated to bring disgrace upon the church of God, to cause the spirit of God to be withdrawn, and to uproot and destroy those glorious principles which had been developed for the salvation of the human family. So maybe we can focus a little bit on means by which to not be deceived yeah. and kind of seeking this gift of discernment. So if you look in section 52, verses 14 through 19, we get a few hints at what we can do. So for example, verse 15, uh, we're told that a person that prays with a contrite spirit can help discern true servants of God, true spirits. Verse 16, uh, one who speaks in meekness and edification with a contrite spirit. Verse 17, one who trembles under God's power. And verse 17, again, one who brings forth praise and wisdom. 
And one of the things I noticed in these verses, specifically in verse uh, 15 and 16, is this common denominator of having a contrite spirit is a mark of a, of a true servant of God. So the question I have for Liz or for any of you is, what do you think it means to have a contrite spirit? And why might this be so important in serving the Lord? I feel like it's so important to have a contrite spirit because if you are full of yourself or if you're looking for your own agenda, then you might get confused. You might think it's you or you might be a little more open to suggestion. But if you're completely open to Heavenly Father's message and that contrite spirit to me is just saying, not my will, but thine be done, then you're open to truth. And I think that's when the spirit pours in. And one thing that I, I really focused in on while I was on my mission when I, when I would teach people was that I would teach people that God chose a servant or a prophet that was young and that he was at an age where he was making a lot of big decisions, but he was at an age that he was mendable and that God chose him because he wasn't already firm in his thoughts or in his teachings. He was able to be taught and he was humble and with that contrite heart, he was able to be taught what the Lord needed him to be taught. Just like Tian said, not our will, but thine be done in all mm -hmm. things. Excellent. Yeah, so there's definitely a sense of kind of malleability or meekness or openness to, to being guided. So I looked up contrite in, in Webster's 1828 dictionary, which is about the time when Joseph Smith would, would have lived in the 19th century. And in addition to this kind of malleability and, and sorrowness and grief that's sometimes associated with the word contrite and contrition, there's also two uh, other definitions that stood out to me, worn and bruised. And to me, it seemed to suggest that it's not just kind of this malleability, but something that's worn out from effort or struggle, this idea of continually uh, trying to do something, right? And Liz, I know you had some ideas about the role of, of human agency and human effort in cultivating a, a greater gift of discernment. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think when we think about spiritual gifts, sometimes we think of them as, as something that we pray for and then are given, and certainly that, that can be the case, but they also can be something that can be cultivated. And in my work in athletics, our student athletes get better at, at a skill and their muscles get stronger by practicing. And so we can absolutely pray for the gift of discernment, and we should, but we also can do things to cultivate it. I think of President Nelson's uh, counsel for us to increase our capacity to receive spiritual revelation. And as he talks about how we do that, he gives a pattern and the importance of practicing, of doing it. So seeking revelation as it comes, write it down and act on it. And as we do that, then our capacity to receive more revelation increases. Elder Bednar actually has a talk as well where he talks about the importance of being quick to observe. And he talks about how the gift of discernment and being quick to observe are similar and then asks and invites every member of the church to ask for and try to cultivate the gift of discernment as you're talking about. Something that we can all have, and this is, again, this is extremely important for the members then, but how much, how much more important perhaps in our world where things are so confusing and there is so much noise. Yep. I, I think too about uh, the youth today, there is a lot to discern between. Yeah. There, there's so much information out there. There is more information at the fingertips of all of us, but especially at our youth than ever before. And so that gift of discernment is critical. It's critical for our youth to have confidence in their ability to be able to seek personal revelation and going to inspired sources for answers because there are a lot more sources available than ever before. And the gift of discernment can help us know as we come across answers, but the gift of discernment can also help us to know the inspired sources where we can go to seek truth. One question I have for you. Have there been times in your lives that have really kind of change the way you understand revelation, which is to say, have there been experiences or moments in which you became better at discerning the voice of the Lord? Yeah, Noah. Uh, for me, honestly, like the, the very first time I opened myself up and really received revelation was 
kind of the turning point where I realized what it should sound like because I felt it and, and I kind of heard in my head like, oh, like that's what that's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so after that happened, I realized that I need to look for those certain key elements that come with it. Mm. Even just being curious about it, think about it more often, it'll help you to, to kind of realize what you're hearing and whether or not it's revelation or just yeah. offhand thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that 100%. And going off what Liz says, for me, it was recognizing how much effort I actually had to put into it. Like, I don't know if it's just the Lord knows how my mind works or whatever, but I have to think through things like a lot and say, okay, what about this option? What about this option? And once I get to a point, it's like, okay, this is what I want to do and I'm going to move forward. And that's typically when the Lord says, okay, I approve of that. Or no, you need to be thinking about this a little bit more. One of the things President Irene talks about is studying your scriptures. And he specifically says, study the Doctrine and Covenants. As you study this Doctrine and Covenants, you are hearing Christ's voice over and over and over again. And as you actually are paying the price, as Daniel was talking about, and putting forth that effort, you come to the point in your lives where you start saying, I I just don't think that sounds like the way Christ would speak. It doesn't sound like the way Christ is. Something's not quite right there because the Spirit is telling you that as it talks about in verse nine, the comforter, but also because you've paid the price to recognize God's way of speaking and what you're hearing is not in line or the opposite, what you're hearing is in line. And so you say, that totally makes sense. I could definitely see Christ saying that or I could Mm -hmm. see President Nelson saying that. I totally get it. That's in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Excellent. So this has been a great discussion on seeking the gift of discernment. Maybe now we can transition a little bit in talking about what it means to take up our cross. As we do this, maybe a little bit of context. There's a lot about discernment in in these sections, but there's also a lot about the law of consecration. Mm -hmm. So we kind of jump in here, and I'll just kind of point out a couple of things. Section 51 especially. So this is 1831. And now we have the saints we've talked about. Many of them have come from New York. They're in Ohio. The Lord is continuing to move these people. They're going to be moving to Missouri eventually, but he's going to teach them about the importance of consecrating what they have and also receiving back needs and wants. And so if you look specifically through this section, section 51, we have this bishop, Edward Partridge. He says, and at the end of verse three, Appoint unto this people their portions, every man equal according to his family, according to his circumstances and his wants and his needs. So there are at least three times that the word want is used in this section. And just a, just one short idea for you to think about. During this time, wants wasn't a word that we would use such as desire. Wants was something where you were saying they're wanting something or they're lacking something. And he's also going to be asked to be in charge of all the possessions and all the properties of these people, which as you can imagine, that would be a huge responsibility for this bishop. So I think we have a video that's going to talk a little bit about this idea of taking up your cross. Hi, my name is Amy Stevenson. I've been thinking about how the apostles had to take up their cross for Christ after he died and how their lives were difficult because of the dedication that they had for him. So my question is the phrase, take up our cross, does that mean that we dedicate our lives to Christ? And how is dedicating our life to Christ different than maybe just having faith in him? So that's a great question. Just a little background, just to kind of situate us. It appears, again, like we said in in section 56, verse 2, and he that will not take up his cross and follow me and keep my commandments the same shall not be saved. It also appears elsewhere in scripture, as we can see here. 
So in Matthew and Mark and Luke, it also appears in John 19 and also 3 Nephi 12. And what it references is how Christ had to take up his cross and walk it to Calvary where he was crucified. So it's an image uh, reflecting the kind of burden and and difficulty that Christ had to face on his way um, to death. So that being said, what might it mean, do you think, to take up our cross? And does it mean anything addition to just having faith in Christ? Daniel, I I had a thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, President Nelson in the October 2020 General Conference talked, and he he asked the question, he said, are you willing to let God prevail in your life? Are you willing to let God be the most important influence in your life? Will you allow his words, his commandments, and his covenants to influence what you do each day? Will you allow his voice to take priority over any other? Are you willing to let whatever he needs you to do take precedence over every other ambition? Are you willing to have your will swallowed up in his? Mm -hmm. And to me, as I think about this question on is it, um, is it different? Is it just faith in Jesus Christ? How is, how is that different taking up your cross? Uh, to me, this is at the heart of it is absolutely having faith in Jesus Christ, but also a willingness to let his will prevail in our life. And that's in every area of our life. To me, that's taking up the cross. Yeah. And I'm reminded specifically of a story in the book of Daniel chapter three, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they're thrown into a fire for refusing to worship a golden idol. And this is what he says. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image without set up. So this idea that they wanted to be delivered from the fiery furnace, uh, they believe that God can do it, but they say, but if not, we're still not going to worship. And I think that's what taking up our cross is. It's, it's a commitment to act in accordance with God's will, even when it's going to be painful, even when it's gonna to lead to possibly death, even if it means following Christ up to Golgotha to be crucified with him. Yeah, I think, I mean, putting again, putting this in context, we have this person in section 56, since that's where this verse is coming from, it's Ezra Thayer. And Ezra Thayer, he, he again, he is a recent convert. We see these people, we just keep saying they're a recent convert and the Lord is telling him he hasn't taken up his cross. I love the story of when he first read the Book of Mormon and he received it for the first time. He says, when Hiram began to speak, every word touched me to the inmost soul. I thought every word was pointed to me. The tears rolled down my cheek. When Hiram got through, he picked up the book and said, here's the Book of Mormon. And I said, let me see it. I then opened the book and received a shock with such exquisite joy that no pen can write, no tongue can express. I shut the book and said, what is the price of it? 14 shillings was the reply. I said, I'll take the book. I opened it again and felt a double portion of the spirit that I did not know whether I was in the world or not. I felt that I was truly in heaven. So here we have this individual who is the strongest testimony and he is just new to the church. And then the Lord says to him almost shortly after, you're cursed because you haven't taken up your cross. And, and I just think, you know, where's the, where's the Lord coming from? I mean, this poor guy just joined the church. But, but, <laughs> but Christ is trying to get more out of people. He's trying to help them. And, and he knew he had the strong testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's going forward with this. Christ does require of us to take up our crosses. And, and I just love that. How much are we willing to give? So Ezra and all of us have these ebbs and flows, I think, in our lives where sometimes we are in it and we are giving up anything and sometimes we're not. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do for ourselves and in helping other people is to be in it most of the time, if not all the time, and start seeing ourselves as a consistent disciple of Jesus Christ and not just consistent when it's easy or consistent when the spirit is really strong. I think we actually have another video regarding this. Hi, my name is Tyler Heasley from Meridian, Idaho. What's the connection for me to 
endured the crosses of the world and the shame of it and forsake all ungodliness? How are those connected on an individual level? So that was a great question, Tyler. Uh, let's hear from our audience. What do you think? Yeah, Kishay. I'm not sure if this answers his question exactly the way that he intended, but when I think about it, what's the connection between enduring the crosses of the world and forsaking ungodliness? It's Christ. Christ is the one who will allow us to endure the crosses of the world and enables us. Um, I think that's a power or an ability that we have within us, but Christ is able to bring out the best in us that allows us to endure those crosses. Mm -hmm. It also then is his power, I think, that allows us to forsake ungodliness um, and not just to forsake it once, but to repeatedly forsake it and to create a habit of that. So to me, the connection with both of these things all comes back to the Savior. That, that comment you made reminds me of a statement by Elder Maxwell, where he's quoting Luke. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, like you're saying, and follow me. And then I love this statement by Elder Maxwell. He says, it is often the daily dimension of discipleship that is so difficult. We may rise to a crisis, but fail amid routine. And sometimes it's that taking up the cross and doing things daily, the, the common things of, of your studying your scriptures or exercising or mm -hmm. praying and those, those things that sometimes seem almost minute, mundane. mundane. Some of those things are, are taking up the cross more than those big things. I mean, any of, any of us in here would, would give our lives for someone else almost, it feels like. But are we willing to, to do the little things every day that will actually save a life? or save a soul in the long run if we're helping other people. Yeah, I remember I had a stake president who said that I'm not required to give up my life for the gospel, but I am required to take my son to seminary in the morning. Like this, yeah, that's this great. idea. And Elder Bednar refers to these kind of people who, who can't, uh, don't have a sustained spirituality as spiritual sprinters, like the idea that you can be good for a really short amount of time, but then you kind of waste out early. The Lord wants us to bring, uh, build endurance in that sense, right? Liz, I know you had some thoughts on this. Yes, when I think about this question, I, I think about the words endure and forsake. We are all asked to endure different different things in life, and and I think it's often that we're asked to endure things that we really wish we could forsake. For many of us, maybe we're asked to forsake things that we'd rather endure. We'd mm -hmm. rather it actually stayed along with us. And so it's interesting to me, each one of our crosses does look different, um, but that I, I appreciate the comment earlier about the, the, the Savior Jesus Christ being at the center of enabling us to be able to do both of those things, to endure what we're asked to endure and forsake what we're asked to forsake, even if it were up to us and our uh, imperfect selves, we, we would probably sometimes uh, rather endure the things we're hanging on to that we have a hard time forsaking, and we'd rather mm -hmm. leave behind the things that we're asked to endure. Yeah. So maybe that's a question we could ask the audience. I think that's a great point and maybe a good lead-in for this. When, when have you endured when you didn't necessarily want to endure? And when have you forsaken what you perhaps didn't want to forsake? Ani, please. Um, so on Sundays, I like to play with my sisters. And, but I also had to go to church. So instead, I put away my want and I went to church. Ani, that's awesome. And that's, that's a sacrifice, taking up your cross that is going to be a blessing for you forever. And it's hard sometimes, huh? Yes, I understand. Thank you so much, Ani. Eva, I think you have a comment as well, please. Oftentimes, I'd get invited to things on Sundays, like sleepovers or parties, and I'd say no because that's what I believe in, and it was hard sometimes. But I think one of the hardest things for me is something easy like reading the scriptures. I read my scriptures at night personally, and... It's very hard to remember and to not go to bed when I'm tired or to read a book 
And that's one thing that I try to always remember to do. That's awesome. And the reality is sometimes it might still be difficult in the future, but as you get in that habit, it's just going to be a part of your life until you get to the point where you can't sleep without reading your scriptures. Mm -hmm. That happens to many people. And one of the things I've learned and Barbara and I have talked about is that regarding scripture study, and it it can be difficult for us, even though like we're professors of scripture. Um, But one of the things we've learned is just to kind of do what works for us. So sometimes it's listening to the scriptures as we're driving to work or, um, you know, reading it as a family in the morning rather than night or doing it before you brush your teeth and get in bed rather than after because you're too tired. So I think the Lord really honors your efforts to, to do your best to, to make it work, even if it doesn't work uh, every time. But good work. Any additional thoughts on what it means to take up our cross? I'll, I'll jump in a little bit in section 56, verse 1. You see that first one, Hark know ye people who profess my name, saith the Lord your God, for behold, mine anger is kindled against the rebellious. So one of those things that is going to destroy Zion and so one of those crosses they have to take up is to be obedient. Stop stop the rebellious attitude and just follow the Lord. But we see the pride and the selfishness uh, that's happening with Ezra there. And we also see that it talks about divisions. Liz, I'm wondering if you could take a moment where that talks about um, not being divisive. You've had a lot of experience in that. Can you help us understand, especially in terms of building Zion, which is what they're trying to do here? I think one of Satan's greatest tools is to, um, especially recently is to find ways to divide people on, on, on topics or uh, on definitions or getting to the very place where people can't even agree on what things mean, on what words mean, on what phrases mean. And if people can't even come to an agreement on a, a basic definition or what something represents or means, then it's really hard to move forward and have any sort of dialogue and better understand one another. It's really important that we listen. It's important that we ask questions and it's important that we give people the opportunity to explain what they mean by something. I'm always so grateful when people come to me and and say, hey, help me understand what you believe or hey, I heard this about your church. Is that that accurate? Um, I'm so grateful when people give me the grace and opportunity to explain my beliefs but it also causes me pause. And how often do I give that grace to someone else? And so I think it's important that we can know the things that we appreciate when people give us the opportunity to to express what we know. We need to be doing that same thing for those that that may, uh, again, have different lived experiences or or have a different faith tradition than our own and, and give them that same grace that they give us. I think part of it too is just making Assuming the best of people, like yeah. I think most people don't do wrong willingly. You know, they're not offensive or, or mean-spirited willingly. So just kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt and having patience with them and their weaknesses in the same way that we want them to have patience with us and our weakness and ignorance sometimes. It reminds me of a, a devotional that Elder Rasband gave at BYU in 2015. And he closed with a promise. He said, I, I want to leave you with my testimony, my witness, that as you follow our invitation to reach out to others in a spirit of fairness... You will feel an increase in the Savior's love for you and for all of Heavenly Father's children. Your example of respect and fairness will open doors and create meaningful friendships that you will cherish throughout your life. This was prophetic in my life. Uh, I remember watching this devotional from my office, and it was just less than a year later that I uh, first was asked to represent BYU in these common ground discussions where I met people from very different backgrounds, and there was a lot of fear going into those discussions on how I would defend my beliefs and and how I would seek to represent BYU and the church well. And as I followed this counsel to 
reach out to others in a spirit of fairness and seeking to better understand them. I absolutely have had doors opened and meaningful friendships that I now cherish. My life would not be the same without them. And I'm grateful for this counsel of reaching out to others in, in fairness and seeking to understand because I have felt that promise be, be completed in my life and having these meaningful, meaningful relationships that I wouldn't have otherwise had. Thank you, Liz. So this has been a great discussion on taking up our cross. So I appreciate you, Liz. I appreciate all the insights you have. Thank you for your experiences, your insights, and, and also your, just your testimony of who you are and all you're doing. We'd like to thank our audience as well. Thank you guys for your great comments, your insights, and for all of you. We appreciate it. Yep. And so those of you at home, thanks for sending us your comments and questions and insights via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you join us sometime in the studio, but if you can't, we hope you tune in next week for Come Follow Up. Thanks. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.